Man, I got, I got all the happy feels right now for Christmas time. I, I love this season. I know, I know many of you. How many of you have been here for a year or more? Like, to just raise your hand. That's a lot of you. you. You know how much I love Christmas if you've been here for more than a year. What, what you may not know is how different this Christmas is than, than last year for me. Why, why am I got a 20-minute timer over here, Joel? What are you trying to tell me? Give, me? give me 35 minutes over here. Yeah. Now, I, don't know, I know what Joel's trying to say. He's trying to say, hurry up, buddy. But listen. This Christmas is so much better than last Christmas because last Christmas I had just had surgery and I had to have my hamstring repaired and I was on crutches the entire Christmas season. And I got COVID to boot for the first time. So it was just, it was a rugged season. Some of the deacons literally came to my house to help me put up Christmas lights because it was that bad. And it was, it was, it was rugged. I, I, I struggled to maintain joy. And this Christmas, my leg is working and I could go buck wild with Christmas lights. My son, Max, somewhere in this area and I, spent about 30 hours putting up Christmas lights, and I was happy the entire time because my leg was working. In fact, I want you to see my Christmas lights. I, I thought it'd be fun. Let's see if we can throw up that picture over here. That's my, that's my front right now. Uh, so that's, that's what 30 hours of Christmas lights looks like. Okay, bring that down. Bring that down. You're going, oh, man, I want to drive by. Where's it at? Just drive toward the lake and look for a lot of light, and you'll find it. There's only one house in the Metroplex with more than me. It's that house in DWG, you know, with the tennis courts and all that. Like, they're the only ones that got me beat. But uh, I'm, I'm aspiring toward that in the future. But we, we had such a blast because my leg was working. Like, I could, I could, everything was joyful. We had Christmas music blasting, and it was just great. I'm able to help decorate the house and stuff. It's just been a lot of fun. I love this season. And I know there are some of you, you do not love this season. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to accuse you of being the Grinch. There are some of you who really don't love this, this season for, for very real and viable reasons. There are some of you this morning, and there's a loved one. It's just going to emphasize their, their missing as you go into the Christmas season. There's some of you, and you had a relationship that's broken, and now it's just going to be emphasized, all the dysfunction in your family as you get into the season. Some of you have been in financial pressure, and you're going to see just how far behind you are as you step into the Christmas season. This is going to be really hard for you. Here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter if you are like me on steroids, a happy little Christmas guy, or if you hate the Christmas season. We all are in the same bucket on one particular issue. We are way too familiar with the Christmas story. And because of it, it has lost so much of its meaning. It's honestly, for most of us, become like white noise. Now, if if you know what white noise is, um, we're going to do a little illustration to help you understand it. So white noise is a sound that's pretty, pretty soft, you know, depending on how you have it. And it's, it's intended to be kind of in the background, but the point of white noise is to drown out other noises. And so as the white noise increases in sound, then you hear the less of the noise outside. So if you're in a hotel room and you want to have softer noise, you might turn up the white noise. Or maybe you're at a library. So interesting, right? I switched languages right in the middle of of my talk, and you probably didn't hear it because you're going, holy moly, that's loud. So white noise has as its goal to drown out everything else around it, which means you can't hear what I'm saying when there's a lot of noise. Well, let me tell you why that matters. 
the Christmas story, if we're not careful, becomes so much white noise that we look at a manger, we see a baby, and we don't have any idea what its message is. It's drowned out by all the white noise of familiarity. And I want to help you because the, the Christmas story should actually blow your mind. Like every time you look at the nativity set, your mind should just go, and I want to help that happen. I want to drown out the white noise so you can remember just how explosive of a story the Christmas story really is. So the number one thing that most people think of when they think of impossibility is the virgin birth, and which, by the way, that's pretty stinking impossible. It's amazing. But I want to go on the other side for those of you scientific people in the room who might want to discredit miracles. I want to show you just from the sheer improbability of Jesus coming the way it was foretold he would come. Because you could be a scientist and still recognize that there were books of the Bible written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came by the Jewish people, and they made prophecies. And these prophecies, most scholars believe there were about 10 of them that had to deal with the coming of Jesus. The odds of them taking place are astronomically microscopic near the point of impossibility. And if any one of these prophecies was off just by one degree, then Jesus would not actually be the Messiah. Now, I could go over all 10 of them, but we would need to be here for three hours, and most of you don't want to be here for three hours. So I'm going to pick just four of them that we're going to go through, just so you can understand the nature of the improbability of Jesus coming the way he was claimed to come. We're going to be looking through the Bible. I've got a lot of little tabs on my Bible, which means we're going to be all over the place. We'll have the scriptures on the screen. If you're a Bible drill kind of guy, maybe you can stay with me. But we're going to look at the first one in the book of Micah. So we're going to be in the Old Testament looking at prophecies, Micah chapter 5. Now in this, a very familiar story for you guys, but it tells where the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, had to be born, the one who would be ruler of the people of God. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So it says very precisely that the ruler would come from Bethlehem Ephrathah, this little bitty village. Now, if he came from anywhere else, it would not be the Messiah. If he was born in Jerusalem, it would not be the Messiah. If he was born in Nazareth, he would not be the Messiah. If he was born in Assyria or Susa or Babylon, he would not be the Messiah. Now, I don't know exactly how many villages there were in the ancient Near Eastern world, but on a very conservative level, there were several thousand of these little villages dotted all over the ancient Near Eastern world. Now, I'm not even talking about the the globe. There would have been hundreds of thousands of villages all over the world. I'm just talking about the ancient Near Eastern world. So just for conservative sake, let's say there were about 3,000 of these little villages all over the ancient Near Eastern world. That means the odds of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem Ephrathah are about 1 in 3,000. We get that, math, see how that works. That, that, that's cool, but that wouldn't be all that amazing. I mean, that, that, those are tough odds, but it could happen. But you couple that with a whole bunch of other prophecies. The second prophecy I want us to focus on is the exact lineage with which the Messiah had to come. Now, I'm not going to go uh, into the, the Bible too deep, but if you were to really search your Bible out and look at the lineage that he was supposed to come from, you would recognize in the book of Genesis, he had to come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you might go, okay, well, he was a Jewish guy, and so they all came from Abraham. That's not that exciting. But, and Abraham only had one son you know, of the promise, which was Isaac, and so sure, it had to be there. And, well, they only had 
Isaac only had two sons, Jacob and Esau, so there's a 50-50 chance he's going to come from the right lineage. That's not that surprising. But then it says the next one down, he also had to come from the line of Judah, it says at the end of the book of Genesis. Now, that's a 1 in 12 chance because Jacob had 12 sons. Judah was only one of them. So now the odds are getting a little bit crazier. we got 1 in 12 over here. You multiply that by the 1 in 3,000, and now you're starting to get quite a bit bigger of a number, less, less likely that he would come from this lineage. Then you go beyond that, though, and it said not only would he come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not only would he come from Judah, but all the way down a number of generations later, he would come from the lineage of a guy named Jesse. Now, I want to skip to the Old Testament, and I want to look at a particular passage of Scripture that I think will help you. It's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So it says the spirit would be, he would be anointed with the spirit. That's what it means to be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. And he would come from the stump of Jesse. Now Jesse was a number of generations removed from Judah, but he was in that line. Now the odds of him coming from Judah all the way down to Jesse, because there were several hundreds of thousands of other Jewish people. If you want to just start reading some genealogies, go to the book of Numbers and see how many genealogies there are. Look, look at the Bible. There are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. So for him to come specifically from the line of Jesse is now about a one in several hundred thousand chance that he would come from that. So now you have to multiply that by the one in 3,000 of born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. But more than that, you guys know Jesse had seven sons, and he had to come from one specific son, the youngest of all. If you were in Isaiah and you were to go to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So specifically, he had to come from the seventh son of Jesse, the son of David. He had to be of the lineage of David to be upon the throne of David. So now the odds of this happening are getting more and more microscopic when you multiply this genealogy with the fact that he had to become from the one village, the little bitty village of Bethlehem Ephrathah. You're now in the several million to one chance that the Messiah would fulfill just those couple of prophecies. Then you turn over to your New Testament. If you were to go over to the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, reading verses 4 through 7, listen to what it says. It says, in those days, a decree, I'm sorry, I'm moving to verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So as exactly was predicted, in that little bitty village of Bethlehem Ephrathah, he was born because of the need to go back for a census. And then if you were to turn over to Matthew chapter 1, you would read this incredible thing, uh, this, it's called a genealogy, that would walk through how Jesus fulfilled every single one of these. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes through Abraham, in verse 2, Isaac and Jacob, verse 3 into Judah, and it keeps going all the way into verse 5. 
He said, Boaz and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And in perfect alignment, Jesus comes from that lineage. So now we've just looked at two prophecies, and we're in the one in several million chance that those two could even happen. But again, you're so familiar with this story, it doesn't really get you. But I want you to know there's another prophecy that was pretty unusual as well. It said that the Messiah had to be born at a time of mass genocide. It was very specific. Now we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Now, Jeremiah 31 is a chapter about how the Messiah was going to come and save the people and turn their mourning into gladness. And in verse 15 of Jeremiah 31, you get a a little historical context of what it was going to be like when the Messiah would come. Jeremiah 31, 15 says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And the rabbis, as they interpreted this, what they, what they believed that meant is that the Messiah would come when there would be mass genocide, when children would be murdered and the mothers would be weeping over it. Now, I don't know historically how often mass genocide happens. Like We read about it in Exodus, we read about it here, but it was once every several hundred years in the ancient world where mass genocide would take place. But if he was born in any time other than that season of mass genocide, it would not be the Messiah. So now you have to tack on one in several hundred to this already one in several million chance that he would be born at precisely this time. But even more than that, the craziest one of all these is that the scriptures say not only would he come out of Bethlehem, but he would also come out of Egypt. So now we're going to flip over to Hosea chapter 11, the second half of verse 1. It says, and out of Egypt I called my son. I want you to know rabbis were confounded by this because they're going, wait a second, I already read Micah 5.2. I know that he's supposed to come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And now you got Hosea 11.1 saying he's supposed to come out of Egypt. I don't even know what to do with those kinds of odds. Like, how does that even work? But again, you guys are familiar with the story. You go to Matthew chapter 2 and read verses 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had, he had ascertained from the wise men. In other words, mass genocide. Verse 17. Then was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. At exactly the time that was foretold, mass genocide, the Messiah comes. Yeah, but what about that whole coming out of Egypt and coming out of Bethlehem? Well, go to the verses before that. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Now, when they had departed, talking about the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, you take just these four prophecies, And you're in one in several billion chance that this could possibly happen of just these four. In fact, most scholars say that if you were to take all ten prophecies and just multiply them out, that's how stats work. You have this this, uh, statistic multiplied by this one and this one and this one and this one to get your overall probability. They say it's somewhere in one to ten to the sixteenth power, which that's one with sixteen zeros behind it. Now, I I know your mind can't conceptualize what that is, but that's one in several gazillion chance 
that Jesus could possibly come the way it was foretold. And he does it precisely and exactly the way it was foretold hundreds of years before he came. Now, right now, your mind should be blowing to pieces, but it's not. And the reason it's not is because you've heard all this stuff before. It's white noise. All you hear is... So I want to help right now drown out the white noise. I want to help you understand how overwhelming it is, the odds that Jesus would come the way it was predicted he would come. But I'm going to need a little bit of help. Uh, So you're going to see there's some things behind me on the stage. I actually need a volunteer who can help me out. And so, um, Cash, why don't you come up here, man? Uh, Cash is going to help me out as he makes his way. Cash, here's what's so great. I chose you because you can win some cash, and your name is Cash. And so that fits beautifully. So I've got up here a couple things. I got some money right here, $10, one right here. Explain that in a second. $100. You can buy your mama a really good present with this. Brooke is hoping you'll get it. Okay, but here's how it's going to work. So you got a mask. You don't have to put it on quite yet. But we're going we're gonna to do a little probability work over here. So I've got right here, you can see there are nine pink uh, packing peanuts and one white one. They kind of look like little colors a little faded out. But uh, that's what this is right here. This is a white one and the pink ones. That might be hard. We don't have to change some of the lighting over here to see it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the white one in there. You see that I did it. Okay, you can see it's a little bit different color, just a little bit. Went on there. Okay, go ahead and put the mask on. What I'm going to do is I'm going to mix it all up. It's still in there, I promise. Now, can you see out of the bottle? You sure? Don't be lying. Don't be cheating. Okay, you're trustworthy. I know it. Now, there's a one in ten chance because there were nine red ones or pink ones, and I put the one white one in there. If you pull out the one white one, I'll give you ten bucks. It's a probability. One in ten. Okay. Get the hand over here. Pick one out. It is not the white one. Here's the, here's the white one right here. So it was close, but not the white one. Okay. That's all right. No $10. Go ahead and put that back in there. But I don't want you to leave empty-handed. So we're going to move on right here. Okay, what we have right here is we have 99 pink ones and one white one. One in 100 chance. Okay, so you saw me put it in there. You, I mean, you can, it's right there. You can see it. Okay, I'm going to mix it all up, put it back on. If you get it, this is 100 of my own dollars. I want you to know that. Like, I didn't borrow this from the church. So this, this is me to give you. Okay, you, you put it in there. I'll pick one. You can dig as deep as you want. Nope. There it is right there. You, you missed it. All right, that's all right. That's all right. Look, here's the deal. You were very close, actually. I don't want you to go empty-handed. So we're going to move on right here. Now, this is 999 pink packing peanuts. And I got one white one. Okay, I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to mix it. Go ahead and put your thing on there. I am literally going to give you $1,000. I didn't, I didn't bring the $1,000 with me because I didn't want to get mugged if you don't win. I didn't want you to get mugged if you did. But in front of all you forever online, you're going to see I'm good for it of my own money. My kids won't get any Christmas presents. It's all right. But I'm so confident that, Cash, you won't get it. I'm willing to take that chance. One in a thousand chance, you can get the white one. Let's see what happens. Nope, nope, that's a pink one. That's all right, that's all right, that's all right. Uh, Yeah, it's in there somewhere, I I promise. Yeah, uh, we'll find it later. Okay, here, I'm gonna get another white one. Okay, I don't want you to leave empty-handed. I really don't. 
But I really, I, I want to go big or go home. So we have something over here that's going to be a few more packing pieces. Let's bring that out over here, if you will, on the stage. Um, okay, so this is now 1 in 50,000. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, good, good, good. Okay. So um, cash, there are 49,999 packing peanuts in there. I ain't going to give nobody $50,000, just so you know that. But I'm still good for the 1,000. One white one, you see, I'm putting it in here. Now, go ahead and put it out. I don't want you to see where I'm putting it. Turn the other direction, too. I just want, I want this. Okay. All right, all right. I put it in there. Okay. Now, you're going to have to step into it. So, yeah, okay, go in there. There's a 1 in 50,000 chance you're going to get it. So go ahead and, and just pick one. Oh, yeah, keep looking, keep looking. Now, y'all don't tell them what to do. No, it's a pink one. Uh, I, I, that's all right. Hey, look, I don't want you to go empty-handed. Here, man, I'm, I'm generous. Here's 100 bucks, man. Go, go ahead and do something fun with it. Thank you, sir. I was going to give him the 10, and the spirit spoke to me and said, give him 100. So he's... He's got it now. Uh, cash has got some cash. Brooke's going to be expecting a really good present from you, Cash. Make it, make it nice. So I was really confident that he would not find the one in 50,000. I was really confident he wasn't going to find the one in 1,000. I was pretty confident he wasn't going to find the one in 100. I knew there was a chance he could find the one in 10. But I, I want to I frame this for you, though, on the odds of Jesus coming the way that he came. So you have this little pool right here just filled to the brim with packing peanuts. I mean, you can see them in there, and little kids are going to come dive in here later. And, and this, that's a lot of packing peanuts, but that's just one in 50,000. I, I want to I tell you what one with 16 zeros behind it is like. It would be a kiddie pool the size of the state of Texas, three feet deep with packing peanuts, all of them pink. And you put one white one somewhere in that whole mess. I airlift you. I drop you off somewhere around Austin, Texas, because that's kind of middle area, and say, happy hunting. And you are blindfolded, and you pick one packing peanut. And the odds of that one packing peanut being the white one are the same odds of Jesus fulfilling those ten prophecies. That should blow your mind that Jesus would come the way that he came. It, it just, just in measuring this, like, so the odds of, of Jesus are greater than if he had found the one in 10, great, golf clap him, and then found the one in 100, all right, golf clap him, and then found the one in 1,000, and then found the one in 50,000. That would be a one in 50 billion chance that he could do that. This is a one 16 zeros behind it chance. Like you are millions of times more likely to win the mega lotto than it would be for Jesus to come the way the prophecies told he would come with that kind of precision. Okay, you're going, okay, Jason, I get it. Against all odds, I'm mind blown, thank you. But so what? Look, I want this to change the way you look at that little nativity set that you have. I don't want you to go straighten out little baby Jesus and go, isn't that cute? I want you to go, holy cow, he came as fulfilled by the prophecies against all odds. I want you to be amazed at the story of Christmas because it's an impossible story. And I've even gotten to the virgin birth. 
Just the probability that he would come the way it was foretold hundreds of years before he ever came. Look, there, there, are, there are, praise God, Clyde, thank you. There are two things that if you really believe this to be true, that should change in your life because of this. Here's the first thing. If what the scripture said about the Messiah coming were true, then what it says about what he'll do when he comes is equally true. I want you to hear that. If this, if this is so precise down to such microscopic detail, if that's true about the way he's going to come, then it is equally true what it says about what he's going to do when he came. Let me tell you why that matters. It tells us precisely what Jesus came to do, the Messiah. I want you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It's going to tell you what, what the Messiah was going to come, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the one anointed by the Spirit. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." If what the, the scriptures said are true in the Old Testament and the prophecies about how he would come, then what it says about what he'll do when he comes is equally true. He will come to set captives free. We don't have to be captive to our addictions, to, to the things that hold us. We can be set free because that's what the Messiah came to do. It says he came to heal those who are broken. We don't have to be broken and destroyed. We can be healed because the Messiah would be a healer to turn mourning into gladness. Those of us who are stuck in depression, who are overwhelmed with sadness and heaviness, we don't have to remain there because the Messiah came to bring joy when there used to be depression and sadness and mourning. If what it says about how he came is true, then it also is true what it says about what he came to do. And we can trust in him. But there's a second thing it also means. If what the Bible says about his first coming is true, then what it says about his second coming is equally true. Here's what I want you to know. It says some things about his second coming. It says, first and foremost, he is coming again. It doesn't matter that it's been 2,000 years in waiting. If it was that precise, with that kind of impossibility to describe his first coming, what it says about his second coming is equally true. He is coming again. And when he comes again, he will come with salvation in his hands to bring salvation to everybody who believes in him. He will come to save those who cry out to him, and he will come as well to set up his kingdom. There is a truth that you need to know. It says one day in the Bible, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there are plenty of people who will choose to bow their knee before Jesus because they know who he is. But there is also a whole host of people who will find out too late who Jesus really is. We will all bow down to him one day, but oh, that we would be those who choose to bow down. That we don't have to be afraid that when Christ returns, we can say, we're ready for you, Jesus. I don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the Middle East right now. If these are the end times and you're coming back, I'm ready because I know, Christ, when you come back, I am in you because you came to save me and to set me free. 
But there are some of you who are here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and you don't know if you're ready for Christ to return. You, you don't know where you stand with him. Here's what I want you to hear. There's only one way to be right with Jesus Christ. You have to confess that you have sinned against the holy God. I've rebelled. I've done wrong. I don't deserve to be right with you, God. But I believe Jesus really did obey the law for me. He really did die on a cross and rise again. And I really can't place my faith in him. And when I do that, all my sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And now I don't have to be afraid when Christ returns. And I know all of this because this Bible tells me that he's coming again and what he's going to do when he comes again. And if it was that precise against all impossible odds, just about his coming the first time, it will be equally true about his coming the second time. So here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying when you look at the, the story of Jesus, when you look at that nativity, when you think about this, don't just let it be a cute little story you tell your children. Let it be a mind-blowing story that builds your faith. Let it be something that draws you to King Jesus to bow down and say, hallelujah, I know who you are. That's why we've been singing the song. It should lead you, when you stand before the story, when you go outside in the hallway and see that nativity, it should lead you to close your eyes. Just put your hands out. Maybe even sing to him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We know who he is. Christ the Lord the Savior of our people. Listen, God is calling you to draw near to him to worship. He's calling you right here, right now, to draw into him, to respond to him. For every single one of you, there are going to be three ways that you can respond to him this morning. And I believe every single one of you in this room, every single one of you watching online, no matter where you are, needs to respond in one of these three ways. First way may just be worship. Come adore him. To adore him means to worship him, to declare his greatness. We're about to sing a song, All Hell, King Jesus. And it's, it needs to reframe because you can get stuck looking at a little baby thinking that's all he is. No, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And we hail him king. And maybe what you need to do in just a moment is just sing your praise to King Jesus and hail him king. But I also know there are many of you in this room and you need to respond a second way. You need to believe that what the Bible says about why Jesus came is true. He came to set captives free. He came to heal the broken. He came to turn your mourning into gladness. There are many of you in this room right here, and you are struggling with something heavy in your heart. You are overwhelmed with hurt and pain and suffering. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a painful situation. Maybe it's a depression you can't even explain. There's just a fog around your mind right now, and you want to be set free. He came. That was his purpose, to turn your mourning into joy. Oil of gladness, it says. But you got to come to him. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you're so tired of being trapped in whatever sin you're in, in your addiction. You, you feel like you're a slave to this, and you can't be set free. He came to set the captives free. 
You don't have to live in that addiction. You don't have to be enslaved to that substance or that thing or that person or whatever anymore. You can be set free because he came to set free the captives. There are many of you who are here and you, your body feels broken. Your marriage feels broken. There are things in your life that feel broken. He came to heal what was broken. He is Yahweh Rophe, the God who heals. And maybe you're here going, I just, I need some healing in my marriage. I need some healing in my mind. I need some healing in this body right now. Jesus came to heal. Just read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. Look how many times he healed. It's because that's what he came to do. In a moment, we're going to have prayer partners down front who are going to be ready to grab hands with you and to cry out to the Messiah, to Jesus, to do what he said he came to do. You can go read Luke 4. Jesus claimed this of himself. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He reads 61, 1 through 3, and he says, This has now been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what I came to do. Maybe by faith you need to believe Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do and come receive prayer because of your faith. There's a third thing, last thing, that many of you need to do. There are some of you in this room, and what you most need to do is you need to recognize how badly you need Jesus to save you before he comes a second time. I don't know how much time we have. We may not even make it to Christmas. Jesus may return before that happens. All I know is he's coming back. And there's only one way to be ready. To bend your knee before Jesus, to confess your sin, to trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, and to say, I choose to follow you as king and I'm your slave. There is no other way to be ready. I want to give you the best gift you'll get all Christmas if that's the step you need to take. There's a t-shirt we want to gift you. It says, Jesus in my place. And you can come today and let us know that you're ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can go out. We're going to counsel just to make sure you understand the gospel of Jesus and you're ready. And then we're going to give you that t-shirt you can keep. And you're going to get shorts you can put on. And there's a baptistry up here that you can get into. I'm really hoping the water's warm this week. It wasn't last week. But either way, for you to declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Because for reasons I can't explain, this is what the scriptures teach us. If somebody wants to belong to me, they need to confess me publicly, and they do it by taking a public bath. I don't know why, but we should obey. And so you go in that water, and it portrays your death and your burial with Jesus. The old you gone, and a brand new you, a new creation comes out. Who's ready for Christ's return? And then you begin to pray, oh Jesus, come, come soon. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. I'm not afraid. I want you to come because I'm ready. Listen, if you don't know if you're ready or not, today is the day to be ready. Because here's what I know. If all those prophecies were true about his first coming, they're true about his second coming. And you need to be ready. I'm going to invite you all to stand up right now. I'm going to invite the pastoral staff and the prayer team to spread out. We, we're going to have a lot of people down front because we believe a lot of you need prayer. If all you need to do is worship the Lord, hail him king, you do so. If today you're going, no, I, I need something. I know who my Messiah is. He heals he turns mourning into joy and gladness. He takes what's captive and sets them free. I need that in my life. You come receive prayer. Or if today you're going, no, no today's the day I claim Jesus Christ. I'm ready to, to claim him as my king, to, to receive forgiveness of sins. I'm ready to put on that T-shirt and go in that baptistry. You come let us know. Today can be the day of salvation. You respond as you need to.